Hello, everyone. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Mr. Biffo? That was really cheery. I sounded like I was a kids' TV presenter. It, Hello, boys and girls. It was so cheery, they'd never know that you'd just been grumping at me because what? I wasn't ready. <laughs> yeah, because you carried on having a conversation with me that had long since passed and drinking your noisy drink. <laughs> the only drink to drink is a noisy drink. I wasn't grumpy, everyone. No, I, he I, wasn't grumpy. He was just asking rhetorical questions, which were meant to be questions. There's only one grumpy person in this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not grumpy, I'm feisty. Yeah. There's a everyone, ev- everyone thinks there's a she's this chill, laid back, easygoing about most things. I am chilled. Yeah, exactly. About big things you are. It's when it gets to the, the, the unimportant, <laughs> unimportant things, you'll things. explode. Don't mess with me about the unimportant things. Anyway, uh, so this is changing our scheduled programming. We're going to talk a little bit about what's left over from Brave at the top of this episode. Uh, but off the back of something to do with that, we're we're gonna talk about Marillion and it's it's their relationship to the label Prog. We're also uh, decided that we're not going to talk about Brave Live, the live show. The reason for this is because I think it's worth doing perhaps a run of episodes where we talk about the various tours that they've done and what changed from one tour to the next. And Brave Live almost deserves its own episode for that. We even watched Brave Live, a yeah, very, we very did. old recording from 1994 we watched on, on the YouTube. weekend. Yeah, you got to see the makeup and the, the being dragged off stage, all that. I did, yeah. yeah. Mm. So we're, so we're going to save that for somewhere further down the road. You don't want us to stop yet, do you, boys and girls? <laughs> Well, we've got a long way to go just with the albums still. Yeah, yeah. So, but but I think covering their live, the live side of the band, but giving it its own. It deserves its own space, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, because their live, you know, their albums are one thing, but live Meridian, you know, they're, they're, it's it's as important to their identity and who they are as as their, their studio side. So. And they've evolved quite a bit, haven't they? I to mean, I've got very, least. very limited knowledge, but just from the things I've seen, sort mm. of with the early days with Fish, up to recent Marillion weekends that I've been at and the, mm. the laser effects and light shows and stuff. So actually we might, we could potentially talk about Marillion live in the run-up to our episodes about Marillion weekends. Yeah, that could be a... That because they be were a such a such a change. Mm. 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 So uh, just still while we're on Brave, I never mentioned the cover. What do you think of the cover? Um, let me just have a quick look at it. <laughs> it's quite brown. It's brown. They love their brown covers. What's the blue one from then? The deluxe edition. Oh, okay. And I imagine oh, I that. I never actually brown. thought of that. I think I prefer blue. Yeah. But um, oh, and what's the rainbow one? Nineteen ninety four film. Okay. Um, I quite like it as a cover. It's I have right, to say, it? I think I think this is going to be controversial, given you know I love the Mark Wilkerson covers. Yes. But as an album cover, particularly for the CD age, which of course the band were were now in, 
I think it could be their best album cover to date. Yeah, I it's definitely one. I'm not familiar with all of the covers after this point, but certainly up to this point, I think that could be the best one. I think it is, isn't it? I remember being surprised when I saw it. Yeah, that is a good cover. I was actually surprised when I thought I went. Who? I went. Oh. That's quite classy. <laughs> who <laughs> who designed did it? it? It's Bill Smith Studios, who they collaborated with right up until the present day, more or less. Um, it, it's uh, it was a, it was just a photo of a model that they they zoomed in on her face, and the writing that's over it, um, the the text is actually from Anne Frank's diary. Oh right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah it's a it's such a fitting cover for the album isn't it really it? works it sort of suits the atmosphere doesn't yeah, it yeah but i think i prefer the blue one because it's more linked connected with the theme of water really water's blue is it no but it looks blue Does when it? it reflects the you've, sky you've never you've never seen a british river <laughs> so is that why you like brown you like brown water <laughs> Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yep, I love brown water. My beautiful brown water. Uh, Oh, I just need to mention, sorry, I don't have it to hand, but someone on um, Twitter, because last week you asked about the uh, whispering in... (coughs) Oh, God, I got so excited, I choked. <laughs> Moving all that coughing in. <laughs> Sandra's exciting coughing. I breathed in and choked on my own saliva because it was like, yeah, we fight. Hang on. <laughs> You're listening to Coughcast. Coughcast. We found out what the language that we couldn't understand was Japanese. Yes. yes. In what was the song again? Goodbye to all that. Yeah, and it, it was one of the. Uh, someone on Twitter, sorry, you know who you are. Thank you for pointing out that it's in the the uh, album notes of the 1998 remaster. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's one of the receptionists, I think, at Pass Street Studios that they got to. Yeah, that's. What, I'd love to know what it says uh, now. Yeah. Next mission to find out what it means. Yeah, it's going on about 15 stone first footers. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> It's like a little dig thrown in. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, so there's that to talk about. Some of you might also wonder about, we haven't really addressed the B-sides. You've listened to Marowat Jam, haven't you? Yeah. Have you listened Loved to Winter Marowat Trees? Jam. Yeah. Because they're saying, with the B-sides on this, they're not really B-sides in the traditional sense. They're not really songs. Mm. Marowat Jam is exactly what it sounds like. It, it's a jam that, that came from the sessions at Marowat and some of it went into goodbye to all that and got rearranged. And then there's Winter Trees, which is kind of the only bona fide B-side on there, but it's actually really, it's a Steve Rothery solo track. Um, because, oh, wow. Yeah, someone had the idea that they should all go away for the B-sides for the album, even though there were only actually two singles released in the UK anyway, uh, that they should all do a solo kind of, track for the b-sides and bring it in rothers was the only one that did it (laughs) so great idea so winter trees ends up on there and i i love winter trees so much same it's a lovely piece of music and instrumental and it really points the way to rothers eventual solo album Uh, it's very ghost of pripyat 
Is it? I haven't yeah. listened to Ghost of Pripyat yet. Well, apart from what, when you had it on. Yes, which I think you, you damned it as background music. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. It means album. that you love having something on in the background. Great album. I like and, think... and I'm not casting any kind of opinion on it because I haven't sat down to listen to it, so it wouldn't be fair. I like to think I inspired the title of that album. <laughs> you inspired because you're the only person that's ever been to Pripyat. Yeah, but I might be the only person who's been to Pripyat who won a competition as a result of it. Oh, you have to save so, that oh, it's for a, good a future story. podcast. And I, was t- I, told, I told Rothers all about it. Did well, you? I, yeah. What, in person? Yeah. When was... No, now... Oh, are we going <laughs> to... Now, Tom, do we talk about it now? We'll save well, it to, for, oh. for, fu- for a future episode. Let's just talk about it now. This okay. is a, this is more of a freewheeling episode anyway. We're yeah. going to do some, we're going to do some post bag, and we're going to talk about how program Meridian. So basically, long story short, I um, I booked booked a holiday to to Chernobyl. This is back in like two thousand and anyway, whenever it was two thousand six. long time ago. Long time ago. I saw. Online, it was a photo journal of someone who was supposedly snuck into the exclusion zone around Chernobyl on a, and ridden through it on a motorbike. As it turned out, when I did some more digging into this photo journal, because I thought it was cool. I mean, as a kid, like many people my age, I was fascinated with the Cold War. I remember the Chernobyl disaster happening and nuclear war was always, always close to the forefront of my fears yeah, really i can relate yeah um and then i found out that the, this photo journal thing had been a complete uh lie basically that the the people who had put the, the journal together it turns out you could get official tours around the exclusion zone and taken to the reactor uh and around the town of pripyat so um i i booked this trip then I had a mate who said he wanted to come. Then when I mentioned it to my dad, he wanted to come. I'd done a bit of research into how dangerous it was and it kind of reassured me that, okay, we're not going to be there for like a week. We're not sleeping in the exclusion zone. We did have lunch in the exclusion zone, which was scary in another story. But anyway, so shortly before I left, Marillion announced that for the forthcoming Marillion weekend... You could win VIP passes, uh, which would get you kind of access into sound checks and backstage and, you know, anywhere you wanted during the Meridian weekend, except H's chalet, presumably. But you, uh, to do this, to win this, you had to take a photo of yourself wearing a Meridian T-shirt somewhere exotic. And I was like, are you serious? I'm going to Chernobyl. Marillion released an album called Radiation. I'm going to win this. Unfortunately, I didn't have a Radiation t-shirt and nowhere sold them at the time. No. I looked on, I think, eBay. There were none on there. So I went on the Marillion online forums and I said, look, emergency. Has anyone got a Radiation t-shirt that I could buy off them? Extra large, please. Uh, and this is the the brilliance of the the Marillion community, really. Uh, one guy said, "Yeah, I send it to you for free." 
Uh, And I wanted to like buy him a drink and everything, but he wouldn't have it. Uh, And so he he brilliantly sent me a radiation T-shirt. And so, of course, there I was wandering around Pripyat and Chernobyl wearing a radiation T-shirt. That's amazing. Um, And had some photos taken in front of the reactor. I mean, I should say at this point, you know, I'm kind of sort of making this sound like, oh, this is really cool. You know, it was it was absolutely horrifying at the same time. It was surreal and disturbing and the night we got back to Kiev after after spending the day there. I mean, I remember we on the way there, we were in this, this beaten down truck um, and we were all kind of, you know, chatting and joking. On the way back, no one said a word. The entire way back, the sort of three, four-hour drive back from wow. Chernobyl. It was sobering, to say the least. Anyway, regardless, I won the competition. Right? <laughs> I won the competition. I got my photo up on the big screen at the Meridian weekend. Me and my mates got VIP passes. uh, And, yeah, we got to see it. And it was the year... Was it 2000 and... Oh, jeez, what year was it? 2007? It was the year that they did the covers night where they played lots of rarities and and cover songs. So we, we sat in on the sound check and we... It was just us in the hall with Meridian kind of, you know, running through the, the rarities and wow, covers. They were going to play that that's night. That's awesome. What's really interesting is in that big tent they have at the Meridian weekends is how echoey it is when no one's in there. Yeah. The sound is terrible until you put people in. Oh, the people <laughs> had it out. Yeah, yeah. The sound was really bad. Anyway, um, it was weird having these VIP passes on. People reacted very strangely to what, us. Strangely? In what way? Some people thought we were flaunting them and, like, showing off with them. I remember some... Well, did they say something to you? Yeah, I remember going to chat to some people we knew at a table. One yeah. of them going, I can't believe this. Like, showing off with that. <gasps> not as a joke? No, not as a joke. Oh, no. Other people believed I'd photoshopped the picture of me stood in front of the reactor. It's obviously a Photoshop. Yeah. Yeah, he shouldn't have won. <laughs> he shouldn't have won. It's, it's clearly fake. Um, anyway, I think I, I bumped into Lucy at one point. Yeah. Um, and she said to me, have you been backstage yet? I was like, well, no. <laughs> we don't just go backstage. She said, right, before um, tonight's gig, come to the side of the stage and you can come and meet the band. <gasps> wow. So we went and kind of, she said, come and find me at the side of the stage and I'll take you to meet them. So, <laughs> um, so we were stood backstage uh, it's me, my friend Anthony, and my friend Sebastian, and we were stood outside the band's dressing room. And what happened? Or well, she led us. Lucy led us into the band's dressing room. That was it. Lucy led us into the band's dressing room. It was just Rothers and Ian in there, and then Lucy buggered off. Right. right? <laughs> so now Ian and Rothers, lovely guys, really lovely guys. They're not the greatest conversationalists on the planet. And on top of that, they're both the two of the sort of most softly spoken members of the band. Uh, and on top of that, they had in their heads seven hours of music. Yeah, the last, and it was before, before a, show. a show. Like, I reckon after the show would maybe be a better time because they, yeah. they might be more relaxed. Uh and then Lucy said, "Oh, this is this is Paul. He won the competition dressed in a you know wearing a radiation t-shirt at Chernobyl." Yeah. Uh, and I remember Rothers going, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I sort of remember something about that. Um, and 
Lucy just ran off and left us with them. Uh, and it left us with this awkward silence. Us stood in the band's dressing room, right, with two members well, of the Well, she probably band. had, like, a million yeah, trillion look, things to do. Oh, I'm sure. So, anyway, because, you know, I, I'm, te- I'm terrible when it comes to a vacuum in, in conversation. <laughs> I just start babbling about Chernobyl. Like, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, pipiap, pipiap, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it was really weird. And then Ian and sort of... Brothers are just sort of nodding. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, hi, yeah. And then this is the best bit, right? Pete comes in. Okay, clearly expecting. Yeah, okay, it's just me and the boys before the show. And he sees us and he looks at us. Right, oh, the no. look on his face. You'd have thought he'd walked in, and I've been going like through through his his bag or something. It caught me in the act of like stealing his wallet. <laughs> that was the look on Pete's face. Oh, no. <laughs> And I had to, I had to sort of diffuse it and kind of go, um, yeah, well, we're competition winners. Okay. <laughs> anyway, after a well, couple... at least you're good in situations like that. After so. a couple of minutes, yeah, uh, I just kind of went, oh, anyway, well, uh, thanks. Yeah, we're out, we're off now. We're off now. It was clear they had other things to oh, think about. Yeah, anyway. I know. I mean, to be fair, if I was them. I probably wouldn't want to talk to anyone before no, the show. No, no, I know. Because you're trying oh, to get into the zone and... Any other time, it was a shame, you know, you know hadn't oh, been, you know, during the day yeah, or something. Yeah, when they were a bit, were more, a bit relaxed. more relaxed. Or after a sound check. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but it was literally before half an hour show. before showtime. Oh, my goodness, like, no. <laughs> it was awful. But anyway... That so wasn't you what think, this week's podcast so, was so, about. So basically... Because of that, you think I'm that you're complete credit for taking ghost. all credit for Ghost of Pripyat. Yeah, I'm taking full credit for that title. <laughs> <laughs> because you wafted into their dressing room like a ghost. Yeah, with just your did, stories and of then Pripyat. didn't shut up about Chernobyl <laughs> because because there was no conversation flowing. But they might have just been quiet because they were really interested in what you were saying. Nah. nah. Well, maybe no. Rothers clearly was because he named an album after yeah. that meeting. Yeah, with exactly. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Surprised he didn't call the album Radiation T-shirt guy, <laughs> or 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 dressing room interlopers. <laughs> right, so that's not really what we're here to talk about this week. But you know, we're chilled. We're just having a little chat. Just having a friendly chat, hanging out and chatting. Back to brave. Specifically, back to the 2018 Stephen Wilson. Back to Brave. Specifically, the 2018 Stephen Wilson remix that appeared on the deluxe edition. You've got some stuff to say about this, haven't you? I do. Well, I'm surprised. (laughs) I was surprised to find out that a lot of people didn't like it. Yeah. Because when I I listened to it, oh man. I mean, I, I listened to. Uh, a bit of it again before we recorded, before we started recording today. And I just, oh, I think what he's done with it is fantastic. Yeah. Just the way he's kind of, I don't know, really enriched the sound and all of the little sounds on the album made it so much more... Um, oh, here we go. I can't think of a word. Sonically... Rich, sonically interesting and mm. luscious. I think I said that in the last episode. It just feels luscious. It's like a rainforest of sound. What is interesting because he also did um, the deluxe edition of Misplaced Childhood. 
Did he? Now, that version is less different from the original than Brave is from the original because with Misplaced Childhood, he was working with less material. With Brave, there's so much buried stuff on Yes, there I know. That, that he was able to bring more of it to the fore. Yeah. Whereas Misplaced, he just... He, he, he cleaned it up. But right. didn't necessarily do anything drastic on it. Yeah, but this is why I think he did Brave a service because... You think of how much effort and time they put into collecting all the different sounds and bits of music that you can you can't distinguish as easily on the original version. And then he's just I don't know, I just love it. One of the bits that I love that I, mean, I had to go back and listen to the original to see if it had originally been there was at the start of Paper Lies, the controversial Paper Lies is when H goes, Oi! at the beginning. No, I didn't pick <laughs> And up I've on never that. noticed it on the original. It is there, wow. but on, on the Stephen Wilson version, you can really hear him go, Oi! at oh, the beginning. Wow. So what is it that people don't like about the Stephen Wilson I, I, version? I get why they why some people don't like it, because they love the... And it was one of the things I love about The Sound of Brave originally anyway, was the, the claustrophobia. They like that it's slightly sort of muddy and very heavily sort of reverby. Uh, I think, and the the I think some people find the Stephen Wilson version perhaps too clean, mm. and so it takes away some of that uh, atmosphere and some of grit. the some of the grit, but some of the the I keep wanting to say muddiness, but it's more. Here's the thing: I I've always liked production and an album, another album that I think sounds very similar, at least in terms of production to Brave, is The Cure's Disintegration. It has the same sort of layering of sounds, but also that same darkness in the production. And the Stephen Wilson version, I think, takes away some of that. Mm. Now, my love for that, ironically, that, that slightly... Where the sounds are sort of so layered on top of each other, you can't tell them apart almost. yeah. Part of part of where that comes from is from a really early Marillion bootleg <laughs> of all things, the which has a lot of the pre fish songs on, like Lady Fantasy, um and Close and stuff like that. Whereas because it's such bad quality, there's this kind of hiss on there. Right. And the music it always sounds to me like the music is quite otherworldly on it. I know it's not intentional, and I'm sure if they'd had the the technology available at the time, they wouldn't have made it sound like that at all. But Brave almost sounds like a produced... Or the original version of Brave sounds almost like a produced version of that where the music does sound like it's it's drifting in for a crack in the dimensions or whatever. That's oh. how I've always thought it. Yeah. That it's, it's, it's almost drifting on the breeze mm. uh, or bouncing through the fog. Uh, and I suppose just the Stephen Wilson version just cleans, up a, cleans it up a bit, which is interesting that I sort of said the paper lies... Is the song one of the songs that I'll take off there because that's particularly the song that I got as a result of listening to the Stephen Wilson album because it seems yes. to benefit most from sounding a little bit shinier. Mm. Whereas I, I, I don't hate the Stephen Wilson remix at all. I get, uh, you know, I, I don't get, I guess, what a lot of people, they're, they're sort of knee jerk. Yeah, it's not as good as the original. He's messed it up. It doesn't sound that different. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say it was a million miles 
away from the original. It's still clearly the same album. Yeah. For me, it kind of feels like, you know, when you get a photo and you put a filter on it and you might up the saturation and up the contrast. Mm. It feels like that, but I really enjoy that. It's just personal preference, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I like that, having different things slightly enhanced. Yeah, it does lose some of the claustrophobia as a result, but... But that's okay with me. I guess other people... It's what... it's Yeah, it's just personal preference. I've actually got some quotes from him on it. Oh, really? Yeah, he says at one point, two songs were cross-faded together. This is on the original. Mm -hmm. But it hadn't been done too well on the original release. The final note of the previous song was supposed to hit the first note of the second song. And in the original, it missed. I asked myself, should I fix that? He said, I fixed it. But then I decided, no, I should put it back to how it was because that's the way people have been listening to it for 25 years. It's no longer mistake, a mistake. It's become the way it is. For every person who complained that I didn't fix it, there would have been someone who said, how dare he change that? Sacrilege. So you can't win, <laughs> ultimately. And he, he yeah. realises that. And to these people who don't like his version, the original hasn't gone anywhere. It mm. still exists. Yeah, you can still... Yeah, I mean, and that's a that's a good thing, I suppose. You've got the choice. If you prefer the original, listen to the original. If you like the remix, listen to the remix. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. What some people don't know, and this is how we segue into the meat of this week's episode. Mm. Stephen Wilson is a huge Marillion fan. Uh, and he has a lot of history with Meridian. As he says himself, the short version of his history with Meridian is that in 1980, when he was 12 years old, completely by chance, I attended their first ever concert at Berkhamsted Civic Centre, literally only a few miles from where I was growing up in Hemel Hempstead. I went along with, to, with some friends to see local punk band, the Chilton Volcanoes, who, were to, who we were told were sharing the bill with a band called Marilyn... <laughs> Anyway, needless to say, I love what Marilyn were doing and from then on started to follow their progress. Uh, he also talked about their comparisons to Genesis, which he says, I personally think they quick, quickly outgrew the comparison and, went, and were more successful in incorporating a natural pop sensibility into their progressive rock stylings than the former band, whom I've never been much of a fan of anyway, despite loving the solo work of Steve Hackett and Peter Gabriel. This reached a peak on Misplaced Childhood, which, despite being a 40-minute long conceptual work, spawned several hit singles, including mega-hit Kaylee. It's also my opinion that the album features some of the finest rock lyrics ever written. Mm. Now, he says a few things in there, mm. such as Marillion's pop, poppier side. They've always had a pop influence Interesting. in there. Would you agree with that? Yeah, completely. Even back to the fish days. You can't say Market Square Heroes isn't a pop song. It's a pop rock song, but that that it's it's mm. bouncy and it's fun and it's okay. It's, I see what you mean. Yes. Uh, and then certainly, only two albums later, you had Kaylee and Lavender, which yeah. are just shamelessly pop songs. Yes, that's so true. something that was established with them very very early on. Anyway, so he says, um, he goes on to say, when a band like Marillion came along from a town called Aylesbury, which is only about 20 miles from where I grew up. Okay, stop going on about it, Steve. Uh, I could <laughs> see them play in small clubs. I was like 12 or 13 years old at the time, and they seemed to be 
preserving the experience of the music that I thought had disappeared. That's so young to be going to gigs. Yeah. Can't do that these days. They wouldn't let you in. No. And he says, uh, so they became incredibly important to me and to a lot of my friends who felt the same way. We all felt we missed out on that whole approach to music and that whole era, the era of the 70s and progressive rock. We were really excited to find there was a band doing this. In retrospect, when I go back and listen to Meridian, I think there was a lot more going on that was actually much more modern and contemporary. They had an 80s pop sensibility, yep, you said that, that most of the 70s bands never had. Well, obviously, who wouldn't have an 80s pop sensibility in the 70s, but... (laughs) Don't roll your eyes at me, dear. Um, and then he goes on to say, they're very good friends of mine now and continue to be very important, a very important band to me. They're such good friends that Steve Hogarth, as he revealed in his Corona Diaries podcast, uh, pinches Stephen Wilson's bum every time he sees him. <laughs> it's a thing Is they that have. true? Apparently so. <laughs> He's cheeky. He's a cheeky fella. So... The reason why I'm talking so much about Stephen Wilson... Yes. ...is twofold. Firstly, I don't think there's another prog artist currently other than Stephen Wilson who is doing the same sort of thing as Marillion. I think the closest... When you say same sort of thing, what do you mean exactly? I'm about to tell you. Even though they don't necessarily sound the same, Stephen Wilson is the only other kind of prog artiste out there who incorporates those pop elements that Marillion have always done. Even going to Fear, something like Fear, which has the song Living in Fear on it. That's a mm. pop song. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, even The Leavers has got really poppy, the first five minutes of The Leavers is a pop song. Mm. Marillion are shamelessly poppy it's that that quote that i think i mentioned on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that i saw on the meridian fans facebook group which is too prog to be a pop band too pop to be a prog band yeah so they're like instead of sometimes they're prog rock and sometimes they're prog pop yeah (laughs) yeah uh they've created a new genre well they haven't funny enough because apparently progressive rock was originally called progressive pop. What? Yeah, I only found that out no. when I was looking up. What? I was looking up the origins of prog rock. Really? For, yeah, to talk about here. And yeah, yeah, that's originally what it was called, progressive pop. Oh, so they're actually more prog original than other prog bands because they're prog pop. <laughs> yeah, how about that? But you, you look at the origins of prog and it's, it's the Beatles and, and the Beach Boys. That's where prog started. The Beach Boys. Pet Sounds is a prog album. I don't care what you say. Wow. Um, and as, as is Sgt Pepper. Those two albums are really the point at which we, we should lit the, the blue touch paper on, on what became prog. And then you combine that with the, the psychedelic bands of the 60s, you know, Procol Harum and Moody Blues and early Pink Floyd. And the kind of collision of those two things then evolved into what came in the 70s, which was the what everyone thinks of as, the, as a sort of golden age of progressive rock with mm. Yes and Genesis and uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer and the like. But Marillion came out of what was called the, the neo-progressive wave of the 80s. Right, neo-progressive. Yeah. So it's new progressive rock. Yes, because prog rock kind of... It's, it's considered that his heyday lasted up to about 1976. Mm-hmm. 
the legend is that Punk came along and killed it. Right. Uh, the truth is that the big prog bands were getting more and more sort of over the top and self-indulgent and kind of really killed it themselves. Uh, and a lot of those bands, I mean, Yes is a good example. Yeah, yeah they went from say, as, as impenetrable and self-indulgent as Tales from uh, Topographic Oceans, and even the title alone, to something like Owner of a Lonely Heart, early 80s, because they were trying to stay relevant. Mm. The, the reason why I'm talking about all this in relation to Brave is because Marillion had gone from Holidays in Eden to Brave, and then, which you've just started listening to, Afraid of Sunlight. Yeah. And each of those albums is wildly different Oh, my goodness. So I listened to Afraid of Sunlight for the first time this morning, and it's so different to anything that's come before it. Not just different to Brave and Holidays in Eden, different to all of the previous albums. Yeah, it doesn't sound like any other Marillion Mm. at all. No. Like, I don't think there's anything on Afraid of Sunlight. Maybe Beautiful... I can see in Beautiful the single, we'll talk about this a bit more when we get to Afraid of Sunlight. Yeah. But Beautiful, I can certainly see shades of No One Can or, or, yeah. or yeah, even true. Kaylee in there. True, um, but as a whole. Yeah. yeah. But then, you know, I mean, you could say the same for Brave. Yes. And Holidays in Eden. Which is my point. Yeah. Um, that each time they did this and took these shifts, which they've still done going forwards... Those sounds that can't be made, I think, is is quite a bit different from fear. Yeah, it is, yeah. Is that there will be a section of the fan base that will be up in arms and go, they've lost it, they're not for me. Or, as in the case with Holidays in Eden, they're not prog anymore. And Brave, I read something earlier, actually, I didn't write it down, where I said Brave is the point at which their commercial fortunes kind of dropped off a cliff (laughs) because they finally lost, having kind of alienated a chunk of prog fans with Holidays in Eden, they finally lost the pop fans who perhaps had come on board with with Kaylee and Lavender and Sugar Mice, perhaps. They finally lost them with Brave, which was about as far from pop as it's possible to get. So who was left? Well, who was left? Yeah, the hardcore, like myself. The hardcore who who were willing to kind of just roll with it and go, it's still Marillion. And they just... And I think that particularly that... Holidays in Eden is my favourite Marillion album, as we know. But I love that run of albums, particularly in the, in the 90s, where every album of theirs sounded different. Not always successfully, I don't think. But I love that you didn't know what you were going to get. The, mm. And... Certainly, they they started experimenting with on this strange engine, and well, I mean, Afraid of Sunlight has a Beach Boys pastiche, yeah, <laughs> an absolutely bonkers Beach, Beach Boys style song, and then this strange engine has Hope for the Future, which you haven't heard yet, which is uh, they're then trying to do a sort of I don't know Brazilian salsa type song, which a lot of fans despise. Did I did not see that coming. I quite like it. Uh, <laughs> Radiation is them trying to sound contemporary again. And again, it, it it's not always successful, but but there's sort of bits, there's a blues song on there and they're, they're trying different things. And so each time, it, sorry. It, it, sorry, each time it, it risks upsetting people, but they're being 
brave enough to do that, to coin a phrase. So is what you're saying the progressive part of this progressive rock or progressive pop is the fact that they're they're willing to experiment and to progress and to change? Well, if I refer to my notes, if everyone can hear me flicking through my notes, I do notes for this, everyone. I hope you appreciate it. I do notes. So, a lot of notes. I mean, admittedly, in this case, just printing it out from Wikipedia. But <laughs> So um, this is the Wikipedia definition, OK? Progressive rock, often shortened to a prog, um, is a broad genre of rock music that developed in the United Kingdom and United States throughout the mid to late 1960s. The style was an outgrowth of psychedelic bands who abandoned, sta- abandoned standard pop traditions in favour of instrumentation and compositional techniques more frequently associated with jazz, folk or classical music. Additional elements contributed to its progressive label. Lyrics were more poetic, technology was harnessed for new sounds, music approached the condition of art and the studio rather than the stage. It was about creating music that was for listening rather than dancing for the first time. Uh, It's based on a fusion of styles, approaches and genres involving a continuous move between formalism and eclectism. Due to its historical reception, Prog's scope is sometimes limited to a stereotype of long solos, long albums, fantasy lyrics, grandiose stage sets and costumes, and an obsessive dedication to technical skill. Music critics often labelled the concept as pretentious and the sounds as pompous and overblown, intended to be hostile towards the genre or to completely ignore it. Sound familiar? So when you look at the the big prog bands, they they kind of are their... Genesis, King Crimson, yes, Pink Floyd, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Rush and Jethro Tull. Incidentally, talking of Emerson, Lake and Palmer, uh, I once saw Carl Palmer from Emerson, Lake and Palmer, who's the drummer, mm. support Fish. Uh, and he came in during Carl Palmer's set, which, as you'd expect, had quite a lot of drum solos. Fish then later came out during his set and said he hated it. <gasps> <What>? <laughs> I hate all that. No, he couldn't have. He did. I couldn't believe it. No. What do you mean? He like said, oh, God, I can't stand all that. (laughs) It's like, mate. Was he joking? No. No, it's like, no, no, Fish. He's your support act. And also Carl Palmer. Did he actually say? Yeah. Can't stand all that. He must have been joking. He wasn't. Why would he? Well, well, yeah. Well, where was the, the wink emoji? (laughs) there <laughs> wasn't one he just moaned about it oh no uh, maybe they just had an argument or something anyway then in the 80s you had the neo-prog wave members of which were bands called and see if you can spot anything with the names of these bands mm. pendragon galahad oh my god solstice twelfth night brilliant marillion <laughs> spider thing all kind of hmm. quasi kind of Tolkien-esque. Yeah, it's uh, like straight out of a fantasy world. Yeah. So when we've talked fantasy talk- novel. Yeah, exactly. So when we've talked about Marillion, uh why why they've struggled, it's not just because of who Marillion were themselves and their name, which was taken from the Tolkien novel, but you also you've got to look at the other bands that were around at the time. And the biggest one, the one that succeeded was Marillion. And the reason why Marillion succeeded is because they progressed, mm. is because they each album they moved forwards. Yeah. Sometimes they moved sideways, mm-hmm. whereas Pendragon, Galahad, Solstice, 
12th night, IQ, they were more paying homage to an earlier era. Right. They were they were very much in the same sort of ballpark as, as one another. And Meridian, to a point, were with things like Grendel, although even right away Meridian were writing songs that, that were social commentary. I mean, Forgotten Sons. Yeah. You wouldn't have necessarily got something like that on a Genesis album or Emerson, Lake and Palmer album. Um, or a Yes album, Tales of Topographic Oceans. I mean, what even is that? Um, so, and then these days, the the prog bands that, that, that are more recent, Flower Kings, Spock's Beard. I like Dre- the name Flower Kings. Okay, good. I actually love it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Continuing my list. Yes, yeah, sorry. Flower Kings. Yes. <laughs> Spock's Beard. Dream Theatre, Big Big Train, Magenta, uh, and Transatlantic. Now, Transatlantic, as we know, is a prog supergroup with the likes of Neil Morse, Fella from Flower Kings, and Marillion's own Peter Avis. Now, what all these bands for me do is that they consolidate the neo-prog thing. None of them really push the genre of prog forwards. They all are playing a, a, a type of music that, yes, there are, of course, there are differences because you've got personnel differences, but, but what it feels like all those bands are trying to do is they're trying to make music that sounds a bit like the music they grew up listening to. Um, Transatlantic have got a new album coming out, as we know, which is being released in, a, in two completely different versions. One is a single-disc version, and another, well, no, three versions. One is a single disc version. One is like a sort of ninety-minute version, which re-records some of the songs from the, the the one disc version. Some with different lyrics, some with different music, and then there's an ultimate edition that kind of compiles it all to, together. So it's completely overblown. Uh, what I will say is, Transatlantic aren't for me. They're not my cup of tea. They're they're very good at doing what they're doing, which is trying to make completely overblown prog music that sounds kind of neo-progressive. There are other prog bands around these days, like Pineapple Thief, Pure Reason Revolution, The Dear Departed Anathema, who, who are sort of in that prog bubble, but mm. aren't necessarily doing that neo-progressive thing. They're doing mm. something that's sort of their own sound. Right. But would you put them under prog pop or are they completely no, different kind of part of the I mean, they're the different from one, one another. I mean, I Pineapple get, I've Thief. Heard a bit of, I've heard a bit of Pineapple Thief and I've heard well, a bit of Well, you've heard quite Anathema. a lot of Pineapple Thief. You've seen them live. Okay, I've seen them live. <laughs> With me. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> a good sign. Yeah. Um... Apparently, I've seen them live, and um, I'm definitely I've heard Anathema, and there there is. Well, we had tickets to see Anathema. Oh, before, I know, darn. Before COVID. COVID happened, and then they split That's up. So annoying. I love Anathema. I love Anathema, but I can sort of I see what you mean. There is they're not similar, but there is something that's similar about them. Out of those, the one I don't get really is is Pineapple Thief. I don't, and I like a lot of their stuff. But as they've gone on, they've become more sort of rocky and less uh, experimental. Mm. Um, 
don't know. Anyway. See, they're progressing. Well, they are. So it's okay. Okay, look, here's my thing. I like their early stuff. Right. I I found their last few albums quite samey. There's one more grouping of bands that Wikipedia lists as prog. Right. I just want to read out. This is just some of them. Okay. 10CC, David Bowie, Kate Bush, Elbow, Craftwork. So Craft of Verk, Muse, Mike Oldfield, Tangerine Dream, Cigaros, Tears for Fears, Talk Talk, Stranglers. Now, they surprised me, some of those, Stranglers particularly, but yes. I can see it. I mean, a lot of those, yeah, I could I could see how my def- personal definition yeah, of same. prog, I how they fit into that. Talk Talk, Kate Bush, David Bowie, I've always thought they were proggy. Mm. I also... Try to think of some bands that changed a lot over time. Genesis is a good one. They went very poppy. Peter Gabriel, who obviously left Genesis and became much more sort of experimental with his solo stuff. Talk Talk is a, a shocking example because they were a synth pop band and then became very kind of loose and jazzy and freeform. Sorry, I've, I need to catch my breath. I don't know why I'm sitting up <laughs> like that. around. Yeah, um, Radiohead are very notable. Obviously, they were indie pop rock band. And then after their biggest album, they took complete left turn and became sort of experimental and electronic. With Would Kid you consider a. them prog? Well, as we discussed on previous episodes, OK Computer was considered to be a modern prog album. Then you've got Pink Floyd, who, you know, started as a psychedelic pop band and then became stadium-selling commercial rock band, really, with proggy elements. Then Fleetwood Mac, Depeche Mode, and, of course, the big ones, the Beatles and and the the Beach Boys. You know, you think of the, the early Beatles singles. You're looking at me blankly. Well, I'm trying to name some. I want to hold your hand. Is that prog? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Would you say that's a prog song? No. No, nor would I. However, something like A Day in the Life, you ever heard that? No, I haven't heard that. Okay, which ends basically the latter half of the song is about two minutes of just of an atonal drone. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Brilliant. Uh, And that's... So, my point is... Stephen Wilson, right? The Marillion fan Stephen Wilson, just like Marillion did when they released Brave and Holidays in Eden and then Afraid of Sunlight and practically every album they've ever done, Mm. got grief for his latest album from his fans. The reason why his latest album, The Future Bites... That's literally just come out, hasn't it? That came out as we're recording this last week. Mm Um. The reason why I'm focusing on Stephen Wilson is because going, I wanted, I would have loved to have gone back to Brave and picked out some comments from fans at the time to see what they were saying. Unfortunately, you know, the internet was in its early days there, so it was, it was impossible to find anything. I mean, I should actually have a look on the uh, uh, Marillion, the old Marillion Freaks mailing list and message board. I wonder how far back that goes, because that might have some early early reactions on there to some of their stuff. But certainly there wouldn't have been anything for Holidays Needed. So the reason why I'm doing this with Stephen Wilson is because I think he is, in terms of the way he the way he embraces 
the term progressive is very similar to the way Marillion have done it. And I think it's telling that when you look at Marillion, most of their contemporaries, all of, no, all of their contemporaries from that neo-prog movement never got close to the level of success that Marillion did. <laughs> and Stephen Wilson, I mean, the reviews for his album, we're not talking about reviews from prog fans, reviews from mainstream outlets have been overwhelmingly positive. And his album, last, his, his last couple of albums, they, they just, they keep selling better and better. Mm. And that is because he progresses and he makes, he isn't content to just kind of, I had a really crude phrase in my head then that I'm not going to use. No, now I need to hear it. You can edit it out. No, he's not content to just suck off the past. Pubs. <laughs> what? Well, that is crude. Yeah, well, there we go. And also now everyone knows you call me Bubs. <laughs> we started as an ironic joke, by the way, everyone. <laughs> At some point it just stuck. Yeah, it was Bob's yuck. But yeah, ages. originally it was Bob's yuck. And yet, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it sorry, it's something like with the last few episodes of this podcast that I've really been wrestling with ever since we were sort of talking about is it fair to your fans to dramatically change direction? like that do you think there's any one member of the band that is the maybe slightly more progressive than the others and pushes them to change and be different or do you think they're all like that because who what is it that or maybe it's the producer or maybe it's lucy that or or someone else that sort of go can we mix it up a bit when you say to be more progressive, you mean as in progressing their style of music? Yeah, to make the to make sure that they're not just continuing making the same sounding music, but that they're they're mixing things up, they're exploring, they're experimenting, and they're they're bringing in a variety of sounds well, and concepts. If you listen to Steve Hogarth, he sometimes takes credit for that, describing himself as the blackest member of Meridian which every time I've read him say something like that, I wince, to say the least. This idea that he's brought in black influences. I, I mean, I think Marillion always, particularly Pete's bass playing, the rhythm section, I think Marillion always dating right back really early on. There's always been a slight sort of reggae quality to some of their songs. Yeah, I think you can hear it on Incubus, of all things. You know, just in the rhythm section. Mm. Uh, so I don't know how true that is. He, he, H does take credit for trying to push the band outside of their comfort zone. Right. But whenever I've sort of heard the others talk about it, I mean, I think they're all, they've all always seemed content to, to move forwards and not repeat themselves as much as possible. Mm. So, so it's a team. I think it's something so. that they all agree with. I'm just wondering because after you've listed all those bands that kind of have stuck to their neo progressive roots mm. and sound, I was wondering what or who was it that lights a fire under Marillion and sort of says, "Well, okay, we've got to we've got to change up the sound on this album." Because you did say there was. Oh, which album was it that they started recording it and then was it Clutching at Straws? Mm, yeah, And you it. said, actually, 
this is sounding too similar to misplaced childhood. We need to mix it up. A I bit. think it was a group decision. It seems to be. I mean, the way they write, as we know, is through jamming, mm. and then starting from really the, the Dave Megan era, the Brave and Afraid of Sunlight era. Uh, Dave Megan was the first producer that they had that they described as the sixth member of Marillion. And then Mike Hunter now they describe as the sixth member of Marillion. I think Mike Hunter's even played keyboards in places because rather than kind of go do something, say do something like this, he'll go, what I mean is this. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, he's a musician. And both Dave Megan and Mike Hunter, who's produced their last chunk of albums, Mike Hunter, and Dave Megan, who's produced four Marillion albums, they're, they act as arrangers. Um, they will arrange the music that the band will record or, or jam stuff and then the producers, those two producers particularly, will then take elements of those jams and put them together and sort of say, how about this bit with this yeah, bit? Yeah, that's with quite this an bit. important role. Yeah, I mean, that's defining that's the sound. That's yeah. So that they actually would play a huge part in the sound being different yeah. to the previous albums. It's telling that both those producers, the bands absolutely credit them with their the importance of their role mm. in in defining what makes Marillion Marillion, and Mike Hunter particularly gets credit for. I think I've read them sort of say that he understands what Marillion is. You know, even if that isn't necessarily just repeating themselves, it, it it's a certain type of song mm. that he he under he seems to kind of instinctively get. Yeah, and also get what perhaps the fans might be receptive to. In saying all this. I, I don't think Marillion are necessarily quite as radical in their shifts as Stephen Wilson. Mm. I think Marillion are slightly more conservative sometimes than, than Stephen Wilson has been. It, it almost feels like they'll do an album that sounds kind of Marillion-y and then chuck on a song that's completely <laughs> field. Stephen Wilson will, will, well, particularly with his latest one, The Future Bites, which is the thing that has got yeah. the fans up in arms, is there are very few guitars on it. It's very, very electronic and it's much more about the production, uh, which he's co-produced the album, you know, and, and playing around with vocals and playing around with the sound of the vocals, mm. you know, the pitch of it. it. It sounds, to my ears, it sounds like a Stephen Wilson album, but not necessarily to all of his fans. I kind of think, well, tough on the fans. I've always rolled with Meridian's changes, even when I haven't liked them. I've stuck through it because I know what they, they can do. And it's the same with Stephen Wilson. I'm always interested to hear a new Stephen Wilson project because I know it will sound different from the previous one, mm. but it'll always be interesting. Yeah. And the Future Bites, the latest one, my God, I love it. However, when you go on Stephen Wilson, Wilson's own Facebook page, the level of vitriol, that is on really? there. It is shocking. But aren't people used to the fact that he changes his sound dramatically from album to album by now? Because he produces quite a lot of work, doesn't he? He's he's really prolific. This has been the longest yeah, so, gap between albums that so he's ever had. It wouldn't be I mean, I'm guessing, surely it wouldn't be a surprise to people that his new album is going to sound very different to his last. Well, look, let's do you want me to read out some of the some of the comments? Okay. Uh, I'm going somewhere with it. So this is, bear in mind, like, Stephen Wilson has, I mean, there's been a bit of a joke on his page about how how much he's promoting the album. I mean, he's been sitting on the damn thing for a year because because of COVID. 
<laughs> this was meant to be about out a year ago or something like oh, that. Oh, really? Uh, and some some of these, I mean, there's no. I'll save what I was going to say for the end. But it's like, what's the guy supposed to do? He's got a new album out. He's not allowed to promote it on his own page. What is just let it go out there and sort of drop off a cliff? Yeah, especially if you can't tour or anything yeah. at the moment. So it must what be if, hard. Yeah. So what if he's sharing positive reviews? It's it's called marketing. You massive entitled idiots there I've said it oh people are complaining because he's promoting his own you have to though of course you have to what are you meant to do just like just like hope people find it and hope people give it a go sorry I'm there everyone can hear me um flicking through my notes I'm trying to get to um get to something while you're doing that so here's some of the comments after uh, below some of Stephen Wilson's own posts, right? So they're basically addressing this to him directly. I kind of like some of it, but damn, it is neither prog nor rock. I'm going to forget it exists pretty quickly. Fear of a blank planet remains the best thing he's done. Uh, nah, you can announce that you're an artist all you want, but saying the same thing in pretty much the same way you've been saying it for 15 years with less interesting and involving music doesn't do much to support the claim. Congrats, you've achieved the status of mass market radiohead. I hate all this fawning of so-called fans pretending the album is great. I listened to it last night on Spotify and apart from the Count of Inez, I found it incredibly hard to listen to. Incredibly hard to listen to. It is by far, in my opinion, the worst Stephen Wilson has ever been involved with. I've been told in other discussions that I shouldn't criticise him, but I struggle with that. I've spent around £15,000 on him in the past, watching him in different guises and buying CDs, so I think that gives me the right to say what I think. What a dick. Sorry, whoever you are, if you're listening to this, but that that attitude, you know, what you're essentially doing, mate, is you're dictating to an artist what they can and can't do. Fine, express your opinion. Maybe don't do it directly to him. That seems a bit rude. Sorry, that's rude. You know, but then thinking just because you spent money on other things that presumably you have liked then gives you some sort of right to kind of go... I shouldn't criticise him, but I struggle with that. Yes, but to him, he's not going to change. You're not, you know, what, by criticising him, what you think you're going to do is is change the type of music he's making. He is an artist and he should, by rights, and should is a dangerous word, but should, ideally, in an ideal world, be making the type of art that he wants to make, not the type of art that you want to listen to. That is why, and this is my point, that is why Marillion have always been bigger than any of these neo-progressive bands that, that, that they came up alongside. Why Marillion rose above the, the morass of those bands because Marillion progressed. Why has Stephen Wilson continued to kind of get bigger and bigger and bigger? Because he's prepared to progress, as in progressive rock. Progressive rock has become synonymous with this type of whimsy, airy-fairy, abrupt kind of core changes into a bloody keyboard solo that goes... Oh, in the court of the Silvery King, Frothgar did wonder and showed him his thing. And that is what everyone thinks is wrong with prog rock because it is what is wrong with prog rock. Great, you want that, that kind of nostalgia. If you want to listen to that, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But don't criticise other artists for trying to do something more and, frankly, something more 
honourable and worthy of the of the, the label progressive. <laughs> well, I enjoyed your little song. <laughs> yeah, that was improvised. That's and pretty I was good, wondering what thing the king was showing. <laughs> <laughs> Paging Dr. Freud. Yeah, check out my band camp that's coming out as a single uh, scene. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, because I was just thinking about it. It's like trying to dictate to an artist what kind of music that they should be, or art that they you want them to be creating, feels like it kind of plucks the soul out of their art. Yes. Because surely, surely the best thing for their creative process is for them to follow the inspiration. That's what gives it soul. And if they hadn't done that in the first place, they wouldn't have created that music or that art that originally drew people to them yes their work this is the thing the the too many fans of and it's not just bands it's you name anything you know movie makers or i don't know youtubers uh yeah <laughs> you know or video games journalists it, it unless you you are prepared to just continue doing the same bloody thing ad infinitum which again Okay, that's fine if you want to do that. Okay, that's fine if you're a fan of that and you just want the same thing over and over again. But I'm sorry, the 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 measure of something that is true art and the measure of something that has true integrity uh, and is truly congruent is is when an artist will explore different territories and different avenues and different styles and push themselves. You can't tell me. This is going to sound bad because I, the only thing that's coming to mind is Transatlantic. I've not heard the new Transatlantic album. I have heard the other Transatlantic albums. Is this going to make it that we never get to speak to Pete on this podcast? Look, again, I've got to be honest. Mm. Um, I, I, I uh, appreciate the musicianship in Transatlantic. I cannot tell one bloody Transatlantic album from the next. I can't. They all sound the same because they're doing the same freaking thing on each album. And that thing is something that kind of evokes other things. That, to me, isn't... You know, it's great. They're enjoying it. I kind of forgive Transatlantic to a point. Pete's got his day job in Marillion. He's in about 50 other bands. You know, I love that that Pete flits around like that and, and is restless and isn't into any one genre of music and will just play for the hell of it that i really admire and i love it um but transatlantic the music they might you know god i mean you then you get this like melodic bit and then it goes into i don't know a hard rock bit and then into it's just it's formulaic and that's what all those neo-prog bands in the 80s always sounded like to me formulaic and the only one that didn't was marillion that pushed beyond that and embraced a bit of pop and tried different genres and stretched themselves mm. um but i mean i guess that's the thing if it's like you've got to be willing to go on that adventure with them and know that if you are exploring it's like if you're exploring some new part of the world you don't you might end up in a swamp or you might end up in a really beautiful meadow yeah or some like amazing toilet m- mountainous scene or whatever or toilet or a toilet yeah you don't know part of the exploration is that you might not love every new find but sometimes you have to go through the swamp to get to the next amazing 
view. Uh, that is why I love doing this podcast and why I've stayed, and simultaneously why I've stayed a fan of Marillion is because I feel like I'm on a journey with them. Yeah. And it's the same with Stephen Wilson. It's a journey, and yeah, sometimes there'll be dead ends. Yeah. But sometimes you will come across that amazing meadow and that amazing view that you go, I've never seen this before. Yeah. And it bla- it's breathtaking. And it's kind of exciting as well because it's a risk. You don't know yeah. what you're going to get. I mean, do you really want to know every time what the result is going to be? No. It's like, okay. I do you be really want to know what to expect every time you get a new album? Yeah. Sorry, I haven't heard it, but I've heard the singles. The next Transatlantic album, I know exactly what I'm going to get. I know exactly what's going to be on there. Are the you singles going to buy the album. Oh no, I can't ask that one here. Can what's I? that? Are you going to buy the album? I'll stream it. I don't want to buy it because I don't like their other stuff, and I haven't liked the singles. Or rather, I don't dislike them. I just think they sound incredibly similar each time because they're just doing the thing that they want to do, which is fine, but it yeah, isn't for me. It's fine if they want to do that. But, you you know, no one can ever say that about Marillion. No. Bringing it back to our podcast and the band that we're meant to be talking about. Yeah, no one can ever say that well, about I will Marillion. be getting back to them. I am going somewhere with this. <laughs> can I read out some more Stephen Wilson criticism <laughs> first? Stephen Wilson. Yeah, no, I'm not. This is. I'm, I really feel for him because it's like the guy's clearly a creative dynamo. Yeah. And it's like, do you really want to put him in a straight jacket and make him like paint in black and white when he has access at the moment to all the colors? Yeah. Sometimes maybe the color combinations don't appeal to you personally, but like just let him do it because that's that's his process, and other people might really love those color combinations. Yeah, you, you've you know, just because I don't like brown and blue together, you might love it. Yeah, you've summed it up beautifully. I mean, on his last album, um, To the Bone, was it To the Bone? The last one, yeah, it was To the Bone, the song Pariah. Yeah. It's one of my favourite songs love of all Pariah. time. And it it that is a song that just it it is transcendental. It just like when it lifts off mm. in that second half, it it feels like, I imagine, taking drugs. You know, you just, my brain just goes, <laughs> yeah, and it's a pop song, but yeah, because he's he isn't content with just making, you know, rote standard kind of pop. He's, he is, it, you know, maybe you kind of go, oh, it's not prog enough, as these people do in these comments. Fair enough, but my god, he's pushing what pop can be. Yeah, uh, and. Within that, then well, then that is progressive, isn't it? All right, maybe it's not progressive rock because it hasn't got enough guitar solos on it. But by God, it's progressive. There's stuff on that new album that that doesn't sound like anything else I've heard before. My question is: is like, has he ever signed a contract saying he has to only make progressive rock, no. or is he just a musician? He's a musician. He's a musician, which means he can make literally any kind of music he wants. It doesn't have to be fitting into this cube of definition. And we're getting close to the point of where I'm going with this. Excellent. Let me just read out some more comments. Um, Bravo, Stephen Wilson got away from the classic rock tradition. Boo, Stephen Wilson wrote average pop songs and propped them up with a super production. Lipstick on a pig. Wow. (laughs) This is on his page. If only this was prog rock. What a disappointment. Sounds more pop than prog to me. Who made prog rock cool again? It certainly was not the author of this album. Maybe Stephen Wilson made synth pop fun again. Prog? Nope. Stephen Wilson farts on an open mic. Music press. 
ahead of his time. Pure genius. The man who made farting cool again. <sighs> right, so here's, here's someone who's, um, who, who has his own definition of what prog is. Prog rock, complex, difficult to play, concepts, double albums, great artwork, very pretentious, brilliant. The Future Bites? It's a pop album with some interesting points to make. It's okay, but not groundbreaking or something I would play constantly. It was King Crimson. That's the difference for me. Now, here's the thing, right? Fast sways of 70s prog. Mm. I love King Crimson's first album. After that, they lose me, okay? Because it gets overblown and up itself. And you can throw into that yes. There's bits of yes that I love. I love quite a lot of yes. Rush... Yeah, some of it I like. Can't get past Geddy Lee's vocals. Something I sometimes have a problem with, with Yes as well. Genesis, generally, I like broadly because Genesis had a pop influence, which is no surprise given where they went. Um, and I prefer that. So, yeah, maybe I prefer progressive pop rather than progressive rock. Yeah, Genesis never got that heavy. Um, and then Emerson, Lake and Palmer. A couple of their songs I like. I quite like Greg Lake, some of Greg Lake's solo stuff. But again, just so freaking overblown and unlistenable to me. And again, from album to album, it's just like more of the same, but yet increasingly unlistenable sometimes. And then occasionally they'll go, you know, left field because, oh my God, everyone's going off prog, let's stick a dance beat on it. Uh, where am I going? I've lost myself. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, I just want to... Read one last, awful in my opinion. He sold out. Bring back Porcupine Tree. The man who made prog rock cool again by abandoning prog rock. <sighs> right. Now there's, this is the last one I want to read out. And then we'll get to where I'm going with this. Yes. God, I hope I wrap this up well. Now, strap yourselves in because this is a long one. Getting my seatbelt on. Yep. Click, click. click. Hello, Stephen. <laughs> this yes. is a comment. Hello, Stephen. This is a comment. I'm not going to do that voice throughout. Although that's the voice. Imagine I'm reading it in a voice that goes, yeah. Hello, Stephen. Dripping with sarcasm and irritation Poor and venom. Oh, guy. I really feel yeah. for him. So this is right. Comment on him just promoting his album, going, I mean, album's out now every month. And then you get, hello, Stephen. I would like to start off by saying that I have been a fan of your work for some time now. However, after seeing numerous YouTube videos of interviews with yourself, I felt it was really time I had to say something before I burst a blood vessel. Or more to the point, question one or two things that I've heard you comment on for the past few years. There is really no easy way to say this, but it really is just breathtaking hypocrisy. That's in quotes for some reason. Then the only way I can get it all out is to just reel out a list. So here goes. When questioned about which prog bands influenced you as a youth at every opportunity, you, along with others, John Mitchell of Lonely Robot fame included, a man who claims he never listened to Genesis and has only ever heard Invisible Touch and grew up listening to The Police and yet somehow found his way into Mick Pointer's arena, who are so early Genesis influenced it's beyond unreal, have pretty much thrown, them, have thrown Genesis under the bus with statements like, I just didn't get them or I was never a fan and I never listened to them and various other comments. Trespass by Genesis was on your playlist at some time back, as I recall. And so was Anthony Phillips at one point, I think. You were in the audience early Marillion gigs, so I've read. At that point, I think Marillion's main influence was predominantly Genesis. Grendel, for one, being so close to Supper's Ready, it was dangerous. 
dangerous. It was the guys in Marillion talking about admiring Genesis that led me to that too, and then there were three. And then they discovered where pretty much most of their main influence came from on discovering the rest of their back catalogue. So the question is, why didn't you? Didn't Fish's Grease Paint Mask give you any clues? Because everyone else got it and knew. I think at the beginning of Hand Cannot Erase, you were even playing the cinema show, ending guitar riffs. You have said things like the reason Pink Floyd were more successful than other prog bands is because they wrote songs with lyrics about, quotes, real life that people could relate to. So how does Lizard by King Crimson fit into that category? Or in the court of the Crimson King, for that matter? You have 5.1 remixed some of the old ELP albums, so you're obviously a fan, although I think Can't Evil 9 must have been hard for you to get into, as it wasn't real life. You probably couldn't relate to it that much. But you have no time for, quotes, and just didn't get, quotes, the likes of Selling England by the Pound or The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway and rather pick an ABBA album over either. I'm sorry, but I don't buy it for a second. You have 5.1 remixed the old Yes back catalogue. So tell me, how did your sensibilities get you past the revealing science of God or the gates of delirium exactly? I would like to ask, who are the, quote, third-rate prog bands you speak of? I've heard you pull to bits bands like the Flower Kings and Transatlantic claiming that they're stuck in a format circa 1972 and are just third-rate copies of the old-school acts and write about science fiction and are the death of prog rock. I have a question for you. Isn't the Raven that refused to sing a collection of ghost stories, brackets, not really, and the album is steeped in overtones of none other than the likes of King Crimson circa 1969, and yes, circa 1970. So does that mean you are stuck in 1969 to 70 and Transatlantic aren't allowed to display their love of yes, 1970, but you can? Their music, to my ears, doesn't sound like a direct copy at all. Not really any more than yours. Or Grace for Drowning with more King Crimson circa 1970s influences. I am not really a huge Flower Kings fan, but although I have liked some of their music, they have made in the past, and I actually felt sorry for Roying Stolt, because he didn't really get his point across in my opinion. What? The last thing I saw the other night was you saying that you just couldn't have anything to do with people who only like prog rock and nothing else. I don't really get this point of view, as everyone else in the world has a favourite taste in music and doesn't have to make excuses to others for what they like by saying things like, but I like pop as well, or I like lots of other kinds of music as well, as a way of fending off the usual ignorant tirade of abuse you get these days from people when you have the audacity to admit to loving it. You loved it so much, you, brackets up until now, this bit doesn't make sense, and have made a career out of supposedly loving it and playing it for decades. Shall I tell you what the death of prog rock is, to use your phraseology? The death of prog rock is when your heroes join in and throw the inventors of the genre under a bus because it's become the thing these days to not like it due to reinforcing stereotypes and lies that have panned it over the decades. Maybe you should add nursery crimes, foxtrot, selling England by the pound, the lambs lie down on Broadway, a trick of the tail, wind and wuthering, seconds out and then there were three, Duke Abacab, to your playlist as well. Although something tells me you have heard them quite a lot already and know them very well. Bravos. Oh, that's it. That's it. Oh, my God, I've got a headache from that. I've never heard the word circa so many times in a space of 
10 minutes or how, what he's getting. however long it This is what he's like getting. That, letter, that message was. Just because he wanted to follow the type, making the type of music he wanted to make. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. You go, every post he's made over the last couple of weeks about the new album. Yeah. You go down and there's literally hundreds of comments. What? Not That's always crazy. as long as that, but hundreds of comments of people really hating on him. him. Can yeah. you not turn off the comments? Well, he's ho- I hope he's doing the right thing and just not looking at them. Yeah, because that's got to be demoralising. It's an amazing album. Like I'm just sorry. It making is. music. It's music, for goodness sake. It's music. Like, just get over it and listen to it. You and know, the, do we have to put all these rules on it? And there we go, right? This is my thing, right? This is what I wanted to get to. Because for a long time, Marillion were very shy of the prog label. They didn't want to know, be known as prog. Well, I can see why now. Yeah, because a get, lot... If you get that much vitriol just for doing something a tiny bit different... Yeah. I would say, OK, just keep yourself... Keep the label off of yourself. But the thing is, Marillion was stuck, right? Because in the early 80s, they kind of went, we're prog and we're proud of it. And then, obviously, at some point they came to realise that the prog label wasn't useful and that it held them back to a certain degree and certainly held them back from getting the kind of acclaim that they often deserved. And By the time H came on board, they were really running scared of prog, particularly H, who hadn't come from a prog rock background, who, who hadn't... I mean, I think the first album he ever heard was... was it. Is it Deep Purple or is it that might have been the first gig he went to? I think he was certainly like Yes and Deep Purple and, and you know, Peter Gabriel and the like. But you look at the bands he was in before Marillion, they weren't making Grendel-type music. No. And so by the 90s, they are kind of gone, I think, they they got it out of their system. Brave doesn't sound anything like early Genesis, you know, and they hadn't done for a while. And yet it, in my eyes and in everyone else's eyes, really, it's a prog album. But it's a prog album without aping that kind of early, mm. all that 1970s thing. And it, it's light years away from the neo-progressive of the 1980s and light years away, frankly, from bands like the Flower Kings and Spock's Beard and Neil Morse and the like and, and Magenta and IQ. Uh, it's, it's on a different level of art. Yeah. It's not trying to evoke an earlier era. It's trying to push the genre. It's It's... In their own present moment. Yes. Yeah. It's It stands alone. Yeah. Lots of seagulls outside. It's because everything's flooded thanks to the rain. Why? why so I think it's turned into swampland. Yeah. Oh. I haven't got any foghorns going <laughs> out the atmospheric. So, but, but unfortunately, because of their origins and because of their associations with all those other bands that came along post-punk that weren't kind of again, considered cool by the music press. Um, Marillion were, were desperate around the time of sort of Brave and Afraid of Sunlight and, and in the 90s to go, please take us seriously. We're not... Because Prog had become so associated with a certain style and a certain type of music and a certain type of performance mm. that, that Marillion were just assumed to be like that when they were nothing like that. So people, you're saying people might have heard the label prog and or, uh, label description like said oh they're prog and just 
generalized yes. and guess that they're going to sound like every other prog band of the time. Yeah. Instead of instead of listening to them and seeing that what they do is unique to them. Yes. But on top of that, um, this is something. Well, I'll mention it now. But Afraid of Sunlight was listed as one of Q magazine's top fifty albums of that year of nineteen ninety five. Q magazine, who who barely had ever given Marillion the time of day, recognised that it was a great album, and yet wouldn't do an article on Marillion. Wow, because of this stigma. Because of the stigma. Because I think what would happen is that then Q worries about getting infected with that sting of progginess and right. and assume that they're because they or at least assume would know that the bulk of the Q readership would assume Marillion were like these other bands. Mm. And because so much of the music press is has always traditionally been so up itself and so concerned with being cool and so concerned with being yeah, seen as trendy and with it, that covering a band that that a lot of people had the wrong idea of as as dealing in a a dated form of music, yeah, they didn't want to go there because they didn't want to be seen as uncool because they were written by a sure. bunch of bunch of up themselves, you know, spotty nose, Kangol, Adidas. Oh no, you hate Kangol, huh? Yeah, don't hate on wearing, Adidas. Wearing. Do not hate on Adidas. I'm not They're hating on Adidas. Stop. I'm hating on the the particularly the nineties Britpop twat journalists. Yeah, who, but, who wouldn't cover Marillion? Surely the way around the stigma of a, a band, if you're a journalist, is to say Marillion's new album, not what you'd expect in the title. And so to flag up to readers that this is a very different sounding album. Mm. Well, they did, but then they still wouldn't cover cover them in an interview or an article. Well, that's what I meant. Use it as so, a title in yeah. an article. But anyway, the my point is that I'm sort of feeling my way towards is they... But Marillion were damned if they do and damned if they didn't because a big chunk of their audience had come from that prog. Right, area. yeah. Yeah, you go on iTunes now, you, you listen to Marillion and you get other albums you might like. Transatlantic, Spock's Beard, Flower Kings and... Marillion, for me, have not really ever, for the bulk of their career, had anything to do with that kind of music. They're nothing like IQ. They're nothing like Pendragon. They're much more, particularly now in the H era, they've had more in common with the likes of Kate Bush, uh, Latter-day Peter Gabriel, Talk Talk, and Radiohead, yeah. That's where they should be lumped. But for whatever reason, they got lumped in with the rest of that neo-progressive movement. And it's not fair. But, you know, they, they moved too far away from that. The fans are up in arms, as Stephen Wilson is discovering now. Or they lean into that too much and they're not going to get coverage in the, the music press. The great thing is, nowadays, with Prog Magazine and the like, Marillion have, have, have leaned into it and kind of gone, all right, OK, yes, with Prog, because they know now know that there's an audience there yeah. for, for them. That... The, that, that Prog had a certain rehabilitation, partly through people like Stephen Wilson. Yeah, but, I mean, OK, you can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not that familiar with Prog magazine, but they cover a huge variety of Prog music, yes, don't they? Yes, So it's not just one certain sound. No, and Prog isn't. Yeah, there's, there's Prog metal and, yeah, there's there's electronic Prog and... 
Pog is very, the magazine is very good in the, the breadth of its coverage. You know, I love Prog magazine, but I would say 75% of the, the artists that get feature in there, featured in there, when I go to listen to them, thanks to streaming, now you kind of can sample music before you buy it. 75% of the music in there isn't for me. Because I, I, I don't... Because what broadly tends to get played and labelled as prog, for me, isn't the kind of prog I want to listen to. So in 2018, Steve Hogarth was asked about the prog label. And he said, I've been flatly denying that we're progressive ever since I joined the band, which is a weird way to word it, given that they do change from album to album. He said, but now we've got so many prog awards in the office that it's futile. <laughs> um, when I joined the band back in 89, I just assumed they all sat cross-legged listening to early Genesis records every evening. And I discovered to my surprise that's not really the case. Mark would be listening to Divine Comedy, while Pete would be listening to The Beatles. Ian would be listening to Magma, and Steve Rothery would be listening to Kate Bush or something. Hogarth admits that his own tastes include Joni Mitchell and Massive Attack. We're all over the place in, what, in terms of what turns us on as individuals. And I think those sensibilities always work their way into what you do. And maybe that's the problem. Too many of these bands only listen to other prog bands, as opposed mm. to instead of absorbing they, a wide yeah. array of influences. Yeah. Which Stephen Wilson clearly does. You know, his favourite yes, artist yeah. is apparently is Prince. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, oh, you, cool. In fact, you can hear that on his new album. Hogarth stresses that Marillion doesn't collectively think much about the work of other artists when creating his own music. We just jam around. We scratch around in the dark for something that maybe we've never done before and hope we can find it. But, of course, those influences go in. And if you've got mm, yes. five diverse people who are listening to different things, mm. you know, what other bands I like? I mean, it isn't... I just don't listen to a lot of prog other than really Marillion. You know, my other favourite prog bands are probably Pink Floyd and Genesis. Pink Floyd changed hugely from album to album. Every album they did sounded different to the previous one, except perhaps uh, The Division Bell and Momentary Lapse of Reason after Roger Waters left, because I think Roger Waters was more of that kind of pure artist who would push them into different territory and try mm. and do something different each time. So when he's asked about why Marillion get labelled as prog or why prog is used as a label, he says... They have to have a place to stick music in the rack. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's a good enough. point. He says, I mean, I mean, clearly we're not electronica. We're not really a pop group, but we have those elements as well. There's electronica in what we do. We've written pop songs, so we don't really sit too comfortably in any of the genres. And then he's asked about Stephen Wilson. And he says, I know Steve has the same problem. I went up to his studio the other day to listen to his latest 5.1 remix project. And he's got loads of pictures of ABBA in his control room. There wasn't any King Crimson in evidence. And then Rodders is asked about it, and he says, I've seen that word, prog, swinging out of fashion so many times over the years, and it's been used, used as both a compliment and an insult. Some of the acts were so overblown and pompous in those days, they ended up giving prog a bad name, but I've never had a problem with it. Which is interesting, because I think H certainly, you know, he's the front man. He's a, he is a front man. Um, and so I kind of get the sense that the rest of the band are less concerned about image and perception mm, than perhaps H interesting. is. And I think, it, I think it did bother H more than it bothered any of them. Mm. And then Rothers talks about Elbow and Sigur Ross and says they're both really progressive in their songwriting. What does the term prog mean anyway other than a form of music that's without boundaries and which incorporates different styles 
and genres without having to conform to the straitjacket structure of your three-minute pop song. There you go. Sums it up. Sums it up perfectly, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's what prog is. Prog isn't music that sounds like other prog music. Mm. Prog should be a broad church. Not the show Broad Church. <laughs> David Tennant and Olivia Coleman. <laughs> so, Marillion, I think, because they realise that there has been a slight thawing in terms of people's attitudes towards prog. Uh, and and I've noticed as well an increase over the years in the number of people who will admit to being Marillion fans that I, you know, I've worked with people now. I think, you know, there probably would have been a time when they never would have admitted being Marillion fans, but I've since met people and worked with people that kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, I am. Or... So I think that there, there, there has been a warming to it. But what H says, they just need a label. And this is the thing. This is what annoys me with the people's responses to Marillion when they're not prog enough like on Holidays in Eden or they're too prog or all those awful comments on the Stephen Wilson Facebook posts. You know, when you're sort of saying, oh, it's not prog enough, if that's your criticism, fine if you go, it's not for me. Fine if you go, you know, that's not my cup, cup of tea, but okay. But to criticise someone for not being prog enough, what do you even mean by that? You mean it doesn't sound enough like other stuff. Mm. All right, it might not sound enough like earlier Stephen Wilson stuff, which might have had more of those kind of traditional prog influences. But But what you should be saying is, I respect his right as an artist to make the music he wants to make, but this isn't for me. Mm. I mean, and maybe not say it directly to him. Yeah, also, don't say it directly to him, you rude, entitled (laughs) pricks. If you don't like it, okay, just don't listen to it. I I hate it. You don't need to declare it to him. He he didn't make it in that way as a way of, like, especially offending you. It's social media age where you can directly insult people. (laughs) You know, it's clearly an album that he's incredibly proud of for you to then come along and shit on it. You know what? Just have a bit of empathy for five seconds and, and think before you put finger to keyboard. Just think whether this is going to... What, what are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to score points? Are you trying to make yourself feel a little bit better? Have a little bit of a dopamine hit? You know, he's made the album he wants to make. End of story. You don't like it? Fine, don't listen to it. Don't then try and hurt the guy. He's still a person at the end of the day. You know, I think it's so spectacularly... It's not just rude. It's spectacularly lacking in empathy and human decency. Go on some anonymous forum and moan about it if you want to. You know, it's like when people tag an artist on Twitter to have a go at their music. Don't do that. It's like when people go into Marillion and fans and start slagging off the band or going, you fish was better. What are you trying to achieve? Why are you doing that? Stop for five seconds and ask yourself, why am I doing this? And ask yourself if it's coming from a healthy place or a place that's slightly screwed up and you're doing it because it makes you feel better in some way to hurt someone else or to potentially make someone else's day a little bit worse. Think about it. Anyway, my point Thus is... fake, Mr Biffo. <laughs> my point is, prog, labels, it doesn't mean anything. Music is music. Yeah, I exactly. I think destroy boundaries and genres. Yeah, all right, I get it. 
I get labels exist because if you want to listen to a certain type of music, you can type into a search engine, synth pop or jazz or whatever. But some people don't fit into categories so neatly. And for me, that's what prog really is. It's, it shouldn't be neo-progressive. It shouldn't be music that sounds a bit like ELP or Genesis. Prog should be music without boundaries. At least, or come up with a different term for it. Marillion, you know, easily could just as fit into art rock or, or country rock at times or even pop. They don't fit into what has become known as a prog genre. Mm. They don't anymore because you never know what you're going to get. And, yeah, Stephen Wilson, Meridian, I get why they ran scared of the prog label because prog came to mean something else. And it's telling that there are very few bands that are labelled as prog that I consider myself to be a fan of. Barely any. But Stephen Wilson I am and Meridian I am. And, look, they're the ones that get grief for not sounding prog enough. Jeez, my throat is raw. Yeah, you had a lot to get off your chest. Yeah. <laughs> this was meant to be part three of Brave. <laughs> I can see now why you said you were going to change the name from Brave yeah. Part Three. Yeah, this episode is not called Brave Part Three anymore. Wow. Oh, I'm a bit exhausted. Do you want to wrap up? <laughs> we still got to do the post bag. Oh, Christ. Yeah. Did you not remember? No. I did. Oh. Man, I was doing loads of padding as well. <laughs> Were you? No, I wasn't. Oh. It was a joke. Um, God, we'll look at another two-hour episode. Brave post bag next week. Yeah. You want to do just a post bag I episode think we by itself. Do. We have enough... Letters in there do. for it to be a whole episode. Well, you, you've not, there are a you've lot. barely started on Afraid of Sunlight. Yeah, I think I'm going to need, I would appreciate more time for Afraid, Afraid of Sunlight just because this is going back to what we were talking about the difference between albums and how I haven't had a year or however many years. There was, was only a year, a year wasn't yeah, it? Just over a year. I haven't had a year's break between Brave. And afraid of sunlight. And I've just been getting into Brave. <laughs> like now I'm at a point where it's like it's familiar territory and I can start to the perception of the different levels in the music is becoming crisper and clearer. So I'm enjoying it more with every listen. Wow. And particularly enjoying the Stephen Wilson remix, the sound of it. So going from that to Afraid of Sunlight was quite a stark jolt. Mm. Um, I didn't like the sound of the um, version of Afraid of Sunlight. Not the songs. I love the songs, but it was the actual production mm. that after having the luscious Stephen Wilson sounds, it felt it sounded a bit tinny and flat. So I now I have to go back and listen to it again. <laughs> the what was it the remastered the deluxe edition the deluxe edition yeah the deluxe edition isn't isn't hugely different from the original so I think that's a it's fair I just yeah it's I, not it a controversial it's not a controversial remix it could have just been my headphones or something I don't know anyway but it, it, I haven't had enough of a break after Brave I was still in Brave territory I'm not great with transitions I need time to transition <laughs> from one thing to the next oil tanker. 
uh, yeah, oil tanker, I, I don't like just like, okay, now, next thing. Yeah, yeah, well, okay, I, let's buy you some time. So I would appreciate the time to get, to really experience Afraid of Sunlight and to leave Brave behind. Next week, Brave Postbag, a long-delayed Brave Postbag. Yes. So everyone's still got time to get... I mean, we've got a few... I think we've got enough for an episode. But we'll try and fit in as many as we can if you yeah. want to send if us an email. Wants, if anyone has anything else to say. B-Y-A-M-P-O-D. Or at, about... Don't worry about me reading out the email address. You just talk all over it. I'm sure everyone will be able to hear. <laughs> all right, let's do that. B-Y-A-M-P-O-D at gmail.com if you'd like to write to us about either Brave or Afraid of Sunlight. Or the, the definition of prog. Yeah. If what, you want to. Or anything at all. Yeah. Anything at all. Well, you know, preferably as if it's related in some way. Yeah, I mean, all right, it might be lonely and you just want to chat, but um, <laughs> can't go to who will reply. So, uh, oh, blimey, I need a, a lay down and a Valium. <laughs> <laughs> you riled yourself up in this episode. I wasn't expecting that. I mean, who knew that you felt so passionately about... Well, because I've been on the receiving end of people who kind of go, just do the one thing you're known for. Yeah. Do it exactly that way forever, please. How dare you change. How dare you do something different. How dare you. I hate you. Yeah, don't follow your inspiration. I don't like your new thing. I don't like you following your inspiration. Your inspiration sucks. But it's like, okay, fine. You're not going to like every new thing that someone does. No. That's, you know, the rules of... Uh, the odds are against you liking every single new thing someone does mm. if they're experimenting. But what I will say is have an open mind. Sometimes it's fun to go on that journey. Yeah. And see it I as love a journey. It. I love the surprise. See it's like, it as a journey. It's like coming to Afraid of Sunlight after Brave. It was so different yeah. that it was a bit of a shock to the system, to my delicate system. Um, but... There's part of me that's excited at the difference. And I was just like, okay, I need to give this full attention without being stuck in the past to appreciate it for what it is without comparisons to what has come before it. It's an adventure. Yeah. It's the next leg of the journey. And it's dangerous. Like there's a bit of risk in there. There's a bit of danger because what if you don't like it? Yeah. That's part of the fun. Yeah. So join us next week for more fun with a post bag. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have other stuff to talk about as well. But Do we uh, ever? We always seem to find more to talk about than we expect. Yeah, we're chatterboxes. So um, give us a subscribe. Go find us on iTunes and leave a review there. What are you laughing at? <laughs> we're chatterboxes. <laughs> The stuff you used to get in trouble for at school. Chatterbox. Was in your, uh, school reports. Chat. Bit of a chatterbox. What does that even I, mean? I, I got, it's like a radio. What's a chatterbox? I got a comment in my school report uh, about being, I needed to control the John Cleese side of my personality. <laughs> well, that failed. <laughs> wow. I was so proud of that. How many other people got John, apart from John Cleese, how many other people got John Cleese in their school report? That is pretty cool. I was very proud. Anyway, Aww. right, everyone, thanks for listening. Tell people about us, please, because um, it really helps. So, I don't know, retweet uh, our Twitter, at, at Pod or share our Facebook page. Um, it helps us grow. So, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.